Hey guys, welcome to our Disney market mini series here at the short term show. Make sure you like and subscribe. We're doing a 10 episode deep dive on not only this market, but all of our markets. So definitely check those out, like and subscribe to those the short term show short term rental management show. We got a lot of shows out there for you guys that hopefully uh, you guys are finding helpful. So uh, a couple things that I want to hit before we go into it is if you are looking for current purchase prices or current income numbers, we have those on our website at the shorttermshop.com. So be sure to check that out. Also, if you're looking to just hang out, learn some things from some other short-term rental investors, we've got you. You can join our Facebook group with us and 60,000 of our closest investor friends where we just hang out and talk about short-term rental investing all day. Same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Also like and subscribe on YouTube to the Short-Term Shop channel. Also like us on Instagram at the Short-Term Shop. If you guys have any questions, if you're ready to maybe buy a property in one of our 20 markets and learn how to manage it from us for free, you can hit us at agents at the shorttermshop.com or literally any of the other avenues that I gave you right before that. So let's get to it. Welcome to the program, Short Term Show in Orlando. Rolls right off your tongue. Today, we're going to talk about uh, how do we figure out what to buy and why, and like, you know, different uh, reasons to get into this. And, and does it even have to cash flow and, and, and uh, cost seg and all that kind of stuff? You know, to me, Disney is a bit of a kind of an outlier in that if you are uh, new to having kids, you're going to go there a lot and it might cost you a whole lot of money. And so this would be a perfect market to just buy something for some tax advantages and maybe even not have to worry about making a ton of money. That being said, this is one of the most traveled markets in the world. Uh, so there are a lot of people coming in and out if you want to reach out and grab some of that cash. So that's cool too. And uh, I'm in that boat. I'm going uh, next week, actually. Uh, at an undisclosed period of time in the in the universe, uh, because I have two kids and it's uh, it's in a wonderful a wonderful thing. We were just there for a conference, huge conference market as well. So lots and lots and lots of traffic. We do have Holly Wade and Jessica from the Short Term Shop, and John, the numbers man. Uh, John, give us kind of a, a, a overview as far as uh, you know statistically. This is it, one of the biggest markets in the world. So if you could maybe kind of give us a, an overview of that. Yeah, the uh, I'm, I'm always amazed by this area uh, and how many people travel here in comparison to everywhere else in America. But I was just looking it up. Um, there were 74, around 74 to 75 million people that traveled to the Orlando area in 2022. I know it's slightly dated as of right now, but that was the, the latest one that I could see. Um, and why that's interesting is because New York only had 56.7 million. So in my head, I always see as New York as being like the number one location to go. Um, and then on top of that, there's between Orlando, Kissimmee and Davenport, there's 50,000 Airbnbs in that general area, which to anyone who's listening is probably like, that's crazy. That's oversaturated. That's, you know what I mean? Like that's way too many because like the next closest, I can't, I don't know exactly what the number two market is, but it would be somewhere around like 10,000 to 15,000 listings in that market. But before this show got started, I was trying to figure out if the market is saturated because like that's obviously number one concern, right? And it's I'm super surprised by these numbers. So the supply has uh, decreased by 0.99% over the past year in the Kiss Me market and the revenue has gone up by 3%. 
which is beautiful. That is literally exactly what you want. You always want the revenue to be outpacing the supply. If they're even, or even if it's just slightly below, it's perfectly fine. But to have 50,000 listings in one location and still have enough demand to fill all of those Airbnbs is perfect. So that's a quick overview of uh, my thoughts on that market numbers wise. Okay. Let's talk again, uh, specific to this period of time. So we are recording this in late uh, fall, early winter 23, just for context. Um, uh, Holly, what are you seeing as far as what he just said, as far as buyers and sellers, are we seeing more sellers than buyers right now? More buyers than sellers? Is it looking pretty even? Uh, what do you think? I think like uh, a lot of the country um, for the short-term rental market, anyways, there are quite a few sellers right now for a multitude of reasons. So um, they've owned for quite a while. We are a very established uh, industry here. So some of these people have owned for 20 or 30 years now. And so they're getting their equity out. Um, there, so yeah, we do, we do have quite a few, but there's a lot of opportunity here that we didn't have before you can narrow down and find exactly the property you want versus before when there was like, maybe houses were going by the minute that you just had to take what you could get. And now you can narrow it down to what works for you, what works for your family, what works for your guests. Mm. Yeah. So I think I'm seeing that. Fairly well, no, same thing uh, nationwide, quite frankly, and, and, and I'm shopping right now. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely different and it's different uh, fairly quickly. You know, the the sellers, now we're getting into, into the current affairs here, but sellers seems to, to have gotten very comfortable over the past uh, three years or so. And uh, some of them are not realizing that the times have changed. So there's that going on. But at the same time, we are seeing price drops. Uh, and I'm also seeing it very common right now to get concessions on a on a purchase agreement, which we never saw anything like that for about three or four years. You know, so uh, the times have changed for sure. It's, uh, you know, high interest rates, but uh, I'm having fun shopping. I am. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a different. It's very different than it used to be. But um, uh, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing out there as far as uh, product and days on market and, and some price drops. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is again, one of the most uh, visited markets in the world. So to me, a lot of that has to do with like, just reach out your, your hand and get it right. So 75 million people, uh, in 22, was that John? Yeah. 2022, 22, 75 million people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of products, you know, as far as rentals are concerned, but it seems to me like, uh, you know, I, the type of person like me, I don't worry about that. I just, you know, okay, there's 75 million people coming here. Uh, their traffic is hard and heavy and the airports are full. So I know that uh, I can do better than other people and I can just reach out and, and grab some of it. And uh, and again, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect because uh, I can take my kids there and it's a very, it's a whole lot of money to go stay at Disney, like a lot of money. Even their dumpiest hotels, which they don't really have, you know, they're all, they're all fairly nice. Man, you're talking multiple thousands of dollars in, in most cases just to just to make that happen. So if you can offset some of that with a, a rental property of your own and get some tax advantages as well, um, that's really really cool. So I, I guess John, run me through some more numbers, man. Like if I'm shopping right now, uh, you know, uh, what am I looking for as far as? Uh, and again, everybody's everybody's different. Uh, yeah. You know, the one, one guy might say, I just want cost egg and break even. The other guy might say, I need 47% cash on cash, which, you know, come on. But uh, what are some good things for me to look for? Um, so I'm always trying to figure out what's like the best possible thing to purchase within a market. But, uh, you know, you mainly do that by being able to study your competition and seeing exactly what they're doing, right? The enemy method, which yeah. you guys have uh, taglined so well. And it's what I've been using for a very long, long time as, uh, at the same time. 
Um, I don't, there's there, I think there's a clear winner between six bedrooms and eight bedrooms. Um, I think I would try to avoid seven bedrooms just based off of what the data is saying, but regardless of what you end up going with, um, the way that you put it together is what's going to make a huge difference for that property, right? Extreme theme is been the number one thing in, in kiss me, um, and really being able to bring it together to make it look as great as possible to be able to stand out. Uh, there's actually a section, you know, there's all those different categories on Airbnb now right? Where you can see like right. the tiny homes. There's that one section called play. And if you click it, it's literally all just uh, Disney homes and showing off all of the best possible Disney homes and what they look like. And so I think it's a great place to go to be able to get a ton of great ideas. And when you go through the data, most of the properties that are performing extremely well have some sort of theme and design to them. And one little caveat that I want to throw into this is when I was studying this market really in depth, um, I actually came across somebody who didn't spend a crazy amount of money on the bedrooms. Like he really just, he did what I refer to as making it full. So the entire thing, the bed sheets, the pillows, the dressers, the paint, the, even the fan had like minions detail on it. So when you okay. looked at into the room, everything was minions, but you could tell it was done on a, on a budget. It wasn't done for, you know, $15,000, like some of these other bedrooms are done. Um, so in, in other words, what I'm trying to say is like, if you're going to be looking into this market uh, looking into the six bedrooms or the eight bedrooms and focusing really, really hard on that theme is what's going to make a world of difference for your property, which I think is almost common knowledge at this point. Oh, Would yeah. you guys agree? Oh, 100%. 100%. You've got, I got a couple of questions. So that play button you're talking about uh, to show the Disney properties, are you saying that uh, in if I put in Orlando and hit play, it's all Disney properties or is it if I put in any anywhere? Like you put in any, yeah, you put in anywhere in the world, anywhere in the United States, and then you go to the category that's called play. It's going to show you about 95% of them are all going to be Disney homes and mm. or Orlando or Kiss Me homes, right? Um, with all their different extreme themes. And like, you got to study your competition to beat your competition. So like, that's where you would go to study the best of the best and figure out how to be able to do what they're doing. Your enemies. Yes. Okay. Are you saying that, uh, I hate to bring up other markets, but if I hit the cabin button, does it take me straight to, you know, somewhere else? It'll, it doesn't bring you straight to Gatlinburg. I think the cabin market will actually bring you almost everywhere else. This is the only filter. Now I haven't gone through every single last filter, but like, this mm -hmm. is the only category that I've clicked into. That's like majority one location. Cause I remember I went in here and I wanted to try and find some like fun, uh, amenities that I could be adding to different properties. And it was just over and over and over again, kiss me homes. Interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering if they even know that or if they just created that button and weren't quite sure what to put in there and maybe it'll change <laughs> over time or who knows. I think there's just no other market like Kiss Me. Like I don't think anyone there's there's no other market where the vast majority of the best performing homes are these, you know, extreme game rooms or extreme bedrooms or extreme backyards. Like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't really exist anywhere else because you don't really need to do it as hardcore anywhere else in, in the United States or the world for that matter. Mm. That's my yep. that's my take. Cool. Very cool. Let's talk about different me metrics just in general, just in case you're just kind of stumbling on this for the first time and don't even really know what to look for as far as how to uh, analyze, you know, properties performance, um, cash on cash return, very common. That's basically a metric of, you know, it's a ratio of how much you put in versus how much you're getting back over a 12 month period. Very common and uh, and uh, definitely uh, something you want to put on a spreadsheet, in my opinion. And uh, by the way, I'm going to ask anybody to jump in and follow up as soon as I'm done with this speech. So if anybody wants to uh, prepare some notes, uh, cash on cash is something that I, I look at. I personally think that that is a little bit more for new folks. I know it's something I looked at very heavily when I was brand new. I wanted to know what was the bare minimum I could put in to get the maximum out 
Um, and uh, that's, you know, that's just kind of how it goes when you're young and broke. Uh, like I was, you know, and, and then you, you work your ass off and over the years and cash and cash maybe is not as important as cash flow, which is another term you hear all the time. Cash flow, at least again, there's going to be a, a, a multiple definitions for all of these terms. The way I look at cash flow is how much is that thing going to put in my pocket every month, assuming that nothing catastrophic happens or a whole lot of things don't break, you know? So I, like on a long-term rental, I'm totally cool with a house that makes 200 bucks a month. Uh, it's pretty common. It always has been. A lot of times people crap on long terms and say, well, you know, how am I going to quit my job if I'm only making $200 a month? Well, I, you know, I mean, just do some math and be realistic. Uh, I started buying them in 2012, a little over 10 years ago now. And, you know, I, even back then, I remember specifically hoping that I could get, you know, three or four, maybe 500 bucks would be really freaking awesome. Um, and, uh, and it's still kind of the same way today. hundred, 200 bucks is really kind of, but anyway, cash flow. In other words, money that I did not have in my pocket every month is the way I look at that. Like grocery money. Like do I get an extra 200 bucks at the grocery store, 300 bucks, 400 bucks as rents go up, hopefully, because I'll tell you right now, the damn groceries are definitely going up. So, uh, we would hope that those, uh, rents are going, it seems like me, you go to the grocery store, it's like $450 and I'm like, what in the world just happened? It's crazy. You know, so, and then uh, you, you'll hear also, uh, you'll hear cap rate often. Uh, that is definitely, in my opinion, and again, I have multifamily. I've got quite a few uh, uh, larger uh, residential units in, in the worlds of apartments. Uh, and uh, and that world cap rate is very popular and, and probably the most common metric. My opinion is that it does not have really any place in single family homes right. because the single family home is appraised based on residential comps rather rather than um, rent income, which is where you get the cap rate from. Cap rate is uh, based on how much it's making versus how much it costs to run, right? So that doesn't apply. Uh, and by the way, the whole point there is that the cap rate affects the purchase price or the value of the home, whether those two are the same thing or not, because <laughs> sometimes they're not. Uh, and in single family home, cap rate or rents technically should not uh, affect the value of the home. So that's not my favorite metric with single family. And then, of course, NOI, which is going to generally be more of a commercial uh, terminology. Once again, is uh, net operating income, which is used to determine your cap rate. Um, it's a nice number uh, to figure out. But again, NOI would generally assume that you are raising the property value based on your NOI, similar to a cap rate. And, uh, and that doesn't happen in single family homes. So again, cash for me personally, cash on cash is a great way to start, you know, just for a noob, if you're just starting out, what's my cash on cash and what's my cash flow. I think still to this day, those are probably on a single family, even with a vacation home, my two favorite, uh, metrics and the ones that I spreadsheet most heavily. Anybody else have any thoughts on, on any of the, any of those things? <laughs> no, I think you nailed it right. for the most part. There's uh, uh, one other one other thing to kind of point out too is that the NOI doesn't include the debt servicing. So the net operating income does not include the debt servicing. And if people are promoting like the NOI um, and saying that, you know, you still have room to be able to pay for a property manager, um, they aren't including the fact that you still have to pay the mortgage, right? And the, the debt servicing. So if once you include that, it sometimes can show up as a negative cash flow. And so are negative cash on cash, right? So um, just something to keep in mind as well if you're looking at people or if there are property management companies that are promoting based off of NOI. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
Got to pay your mortgage out of that um, net operating is what he's yes. saying there. Yep, 100%. Uh, if you have one, which some folks don't. And, um, you know, uh, again, there's a lot to be said for just property management. Are you going to put it with a property manager? Because you're probably not going to make money doing that for multiple reasons. Number one, they're probably, you know, it's very difficult to find a really good professional property management company. Um, and a lot of times you kind of have to relinquish the awesomeness if you're turning it over to somebody else. It's probably not going to be like laser focused, sucking every single penny it can out of this property if you've got it with a property manager that's got 700 units uh, because they're busy. And it doesn't mean that they can't do a great job for the right candidate. And, but uh, it's if you're sitting there like spreadsheeting the crap out of this house trying to get every single dollar you can out of it, that's probably not going to work for you. So then you're, you're forced to self-manage, which is a lot of fun. That's what all of us do. And, uh, and it is, uh, it's a gig, you know, um, it's, it's pretty much what I do day to day. Uh, of course, I've got a few hundred units under management, but I do have property managers on my long terms. So that's a whole nother long story. But, uh, you know, I know that there's certain things I can expect out of those managers and certain things that they're just not going to do that I would do if I was managing them. But, you know, I can't manage them all. You know, it depends on where you're at in your career. I still, I still think to this day, it's, it's very beneficial to to hold this the short terms in house and uh, and 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 this is going to get you your best return and, and it can be a lot of fun too. It's kind of sexy. Put it on your Instagram and things like that. Uh, we're way in the weeds here. Does anybody want to direct me uh, back to somewhere? Does anybody have any thoughts? <laughs> well, no? not everything here is. Um, well, I mean, for the most part, yes, you do want cash on cash return. But like you said, this is a family thing, and not only people with uh, young kids, but also I've run into quite a few grandparents who own homes and they've kept them for the long haul because they want to bring their grandkids here and have that experience with them too. So it's not a it's not a short term short term rental market. It's a long term short term play or something, I'm, you know. And so it's <laughs> there's there's everything else that builds into those numbers. I'm gonna ask and, some di just direct. Thank you, Holly. Sorry. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna ask just some direct questions. Uh, again, the short term shop does not represent any sort of numbers or you know not uh, not saying at X property can do Y number, etc. But I know uh, Wade and Holly and, uh, and Jessica, you guys uh, are in the property owning business as well. Uh, so, and, and John, can you give me, I, I'm just going to throw something out there and see what you come back with. Uh, let's say I got a $800,000 purchase price. How many bedrooms can I get for that? Give or take in, um, winter 23 and any ballpark, uh, what that would gross. And it doesn't have to be that number. If you have another number you want to throw out, uh, that's cool too. Wade, if you want to tell me what one of yours is grossing, you know, that kind sure. of thing. Yeah. So, um, I'll give three brackets then. Uh, so starting off from high to low, I would say 800K purchase price, anywhere between 750 and a million, really. You're looking at an eight bedroom size property, unless you're in a super luxury resort, which we do have here. You're looking at pretty much an eight bedroom. Um, now, any less than that, there's a lot more overlap, but from the 500 to 750 range um i'd say 550 to the 750 range you're looking exclusively at around single family four to seven bedroom properties um and those can perform in a wide variety of revenues actually i'll say revenues after i get through my purchase prices here um, but single family 550 600 up into 750 800 you're going to be the uh, six bedroom size um 
could be a little higher, could be a little less. Uh, and then if you're under the 550 price range, really any as cheap as 300k here, because we do have some properties that are around 300k. So 300 to 550, it's all townhouses, and they're all three bedroom to five bedroom homes, which we actually own. Um, so those I I say are my bread and butter homes. They're easy to manage and they're easy to operate. Um, whereas our big homes are. You know, they're more seasonal, a little bit harder to operate, but they can also see higher revenues. So um, for me, our revenues usually operate at around, I would say, 17 to 18% of the purchase price. Now, a lot of people try and use that 20% dollar, like, hey, if a home is worth 400K, I want it to be producing $80,000. Have you heard that before? Um, so it's... Uh, around 80k we're a little bit less than that i would say i'd take so that my, deal i'd take yeah. that deal <laughs> so um we have higher expenses here such as hoas things like that um so it's a little bit different because we have to account for additional expenses but example right now there's a 400k property on market i'd want it to be doing eighty thousand dollars in revenue mm. now if you take 17 percent of that so 70 17 of whatever 400k is i think comes out to around what is that seventy two thousand something like that that's about what what i would see if it's well managed it's got the themed interior we're talking about a very very well run property Right. And all this is hypothetical. You got to decide what's going to, what you can do, et cetera. But would you say that that uh, is, uh, the ratio is continues on the higher dollar properties? Uh, Actually, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, 800K, if you're purchasing a home for 800K, it's not too uncommon to see a property doing $160,000. Now, again, that is high end. That is very high end. That's a home that's well themed. That's a home that's well run. You have your kid amenities inside the property. and you're just rocking. You you're mm. you really got everything down. You've got your reviews. You've been up and running for six months. That's a property that's been around for a while and they know what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, they're probably going to the home once or twice a year to make sure that everything's up to snuff and the mm -hmm. best of the best, cream of the crop. Okay. Now, uh, I'm gonna throw this out there just to make everybody's brain hurt. Are you, I mean, it sounds to me like you're saying about a hundred grand a bedroom. Is that like kind of in the ballpark? Um a little bit more. It really depends on townhouse versus single family. So I'm scared to say just 100k a bedroom for right. the purchase price. Um, I'm scared to say it too because now in eight months somebody's going to tell Avery we said 100 grand a bedroom and then she's going to be like, "Why the hell did you guys say that?" Because everything yeah, changes yeah. so often, you know. Also, yeah, that, yeah. We, we have such fluctuation here between distance to Disney as well because we like my townhouse. I bought my townhouse for this um for the same price as a six bedroom single family that you can get eight miles away um, from Disney. And they're both still Disney properties, you know? Um, so it really depends, I would say more based on location, um, what that price point will get you. Cause we have a lot, once you get under 750 here, there's a lot of overlap between townhouses and single family, basically between the distance they are to the Disney resorts. Do you feel that uh, a $800,000 property with eight bedrooms can do more gross revenue than an $800,000 property with six bedrooms? Or again, does it mostly boil down to management? It, um, I would I say, well, actually, you know what, John, I might bring you in for that. Um, yeah. So we were talking about earlier, um, the seven bedrooms are a weird range here. I actually, I agree. The seven bedrooms I would probably avoid. And the six to eights, I've seen 
six bedrooms perform the same as an eight bedroom, but then I've seen eight bedrooms just completely crush all the competition. So in my mind, the six bedroom can get to the performance of an eight bedroom, but an eight bedroom traditionally will always outperform a six. Um, and that's again, based off the interior and things like that, because the eight bedroom has the ability to do more inside of it. Um, so John, what's your opinion on that? So few things. Um, I think it. I, I do agree with the idea that the eight bedrooms are going to have an easier chance of being able to outperform a six bedroom just simply because of the heads and bed strategy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other factor, two factors that are going to come into play is what resort is it in and yeah. um, how close is it to Disney? And even how well did you design it? So like, so I mean, there's, there. if I were to look right now, there's four bedrooms that are outperforming uh, eight bedrooms technically right now. I, I haven't, I'm just looking at like all the numbers in general. So those four bedrooms are obviously doing something that's allowing them to be able to keep up with these eight bedrooms. And so I think would be, it's like almost more important is, uh you know, try to under, this is, this is true across every market. I've been trying, this is a new thing that I've been trying to understand, but if you go into every, any market across the entire United States, it's uh, the top performing properties are not in order of bedroom count, right? So it's not like I go to Memphis, Tennessee, and the top performers are all six bedrooms, then it leads into five bedrooms, then it leads into four bedrooms, right? And so what I've noticed is it's all, they're all kind of mixed in there together. And so what I've been, what I've been trying to study nowadays is studying what it is that is allowing these properties to perform as well as the bigger homes. So like, how is a four bedroom doing as well as a six bedroom? Like what is the features that's allowing it to be able to make that amount of money? And so that's the the one caveat that I've thrown to here. You always are going to have an advantage with a larger property, but uh, trying to understand what the true revenue drivers are for that market is what's going to make a, a real difference in the long run. You could, you could have large properties here though that haven't done anything with their garage or haven't taken any advantage of that extra space where you could have a six bedroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> right? you take that, you have a six bedroom and you turn that garage into a movie theater or a Minecraft room or whatever, you're going to blow away that eight bedroom because it didn't do right. anything. You yeah. know, it's so an eight it's, bedroom with 20 year old sheets versus a six bedroom with, uh, uh, and Kanto c- coming out of the wall, you know, that is a whole, uh, they don't, they can't compete. Uh, yeah. John, talk to me briefly or not briefly, as much time as you want about heads and beds. Uh, do what, what, I mean, I have my own strategies there as far as like size of home versus square footage versus number of bedrooms versus bathrooms as to where I kind of find my sweet spot. And I'm happy to get mm-hmm. into that, but what do you see? Uh, I guess, you know, what, what are your opinions on maximum uh, revenue versus heads and beds versus whatever your favorite metric is, whether it's square footage, et cetera? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I think it's uh, clear that whenever you see somebody doing the heads and beds strategy, they tend to be making more than they should be. And when I talk about like an, almost like an extreme heads and beds, it's where you have, you know, a three bedroom that sleeps 16 people. Like you there, you see that every once in a while, right. Where they're really pushing the heads and beds. Um, we typically at TechFester will go two people per bedroom plus four. That's like our that's like our norm, right? Uh, but we have seen in some markets a huge difference between allowing 14 guests compared to 16 guests. There's something about that like 16 because it shows up on Airbnb as 16 plus, right? Um, and you kind of hit this like different category, different size group of people that are, are willing to stay there. So, you know, sometimes we we will make sure that we have a polo couch to be just to be able to hit that 16 number, right? Uh, to be able to to make that work. So I do think the strategy definitely makes sense, but you want to make sure that the common space is not too small for the amount of people that you're going to be getting in there. 
Uh, and the way that we do that, the way that I like to think about it is the dining table. So I don't know about you guys, but like whenever we go out, uh, whenever I go with my friends, we always play cards around the dining table and we always have breakfast around the dining table. And so if I'm going with like 16 people and there's only a six seater, that's just an absolute deal killer for me. I won't go, I won't go to that property. Um, and so if you're going to do the heads and bed strategy, just make sure you have enough common space to be able to accommodate the amount of people that are going there. And then you could do a three bedroom with 16 guests, as long as they can all hang out comfortably. That's my opinion. Mm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer there as far as heads and beds and my thing I want to throw out there. You can always change it. You know, yep. uh, I, I remember when I first started, I got all hung up on all this crap that I, I, just because I'm, I'm a systems guy and my brain, you know, it's a hundred percent systems all the time. So I, I would, uh, I would implement systems when I was brand new that I didn't know how to do deal with that. I didn't know what they needed. And then my, my brain would explode when the systems would fail. And then it was, it took me forever. I mean, it took me like almost a year to realize, holy crap, I can just change this. And then my system has been you know perfected at least for now and we might need to change it again later i did the same thing with pet friendly i went pet very first vacation house and hated it and my brain was exploding for like a year and i'm like oh my goodness my system is sucking i'm i'm failing at this and that i gotta tell you that can make or break it in any business you know so in in this business it took me a long time i don't know why my brain is just not that i don't know my iq is not good enough or whatever oh i can just turn the pet friendly off holy crap i don't have to deal with this anymore and again it's not about whether you should be pet friendly or not it's not everybody should choose there what they want and uh, there's no right or wrong answer i it just i knew that it was becoming the wrong answer for me I didn't like dealing with it. And uh, it took me forever to say, okay, just slide that little button over and no more pet friendly. And the same thing with heads and beds. If you feel like you've got too many people in there tearing it up uh, or complaining, if you're getting a lot of complaining, you might look at your number of people. That's a big one, you know? And if, you got, uh, if you've gotten to the point where you're not getting as many bookings as you would like, uh, that's, a, that's one of many, many, many things to look at that you could increase uh, your number of people, heads and beds. And then all that does is, I mean, the, the biggest thing that does is get more eyeballs on the searches, you know, because people searching for 12 people are going to see anything that holds 12 people or more, right? And people searching for 12 people are not going to see anything that only holds 10 people. So if you bump it up to 12, you've already increased the number of eyeballs on your property. Yeah, maybe those people won't book, but it just made your property more popular because every time somebody clicks on your property, helps your algos, man, you know, so that kind of thing. Um, way in the weeds here. Jessica, you've been quiet. I'm calling on you. What do you got for me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, as far as heads and beds in our market, I feel like it's very hard to cram, you know, a large amount of people into a small bedroom. Um, just our, our houses here are not built um, for, you know, the large parties if we have a smaller bedroom count. Um, back to what John said about the dining room table and can you comfortably fit that's one of the things that I've looked at as well. Um, not for the same reasons, but is, as far as I'm concerned, if you can't fit a table in the common area that fits that many people in the house, um, then you're probably trying to jam too many people into that small area. Yeah. I actually have a house uh, just uh, to completely play, you know, go the other direction, play devil's advocate <laughs> here. I, I have a very large house in Florida that has a tiny dining room. Yeah. And there's nowhere Outside. else to put the, and, there's, and there's nowhere else to put the uh, dining table at this house. So I just have a little eight, I think it's eight uh, people 
and I did put a bench on one side to hopefully they could cram in a fist. You know, little things I didn't have. In other words, I didn't have a choice at this dinner table. I would prefer to do it like John and, and Jessica are talking about and seat everybody at the table. So what I did was I just tried to maximize that little room. I mean, that, that room can't be much bigger than maybe 12 by 12 or 15 by 15 tops. And, uh, and so I also made sure that I had benches at this guy. I made a, it already had a coffee, you know, like a window in the kitchen where you could pass a pass through kind of thing, but it was completely open and it was built terribly and it didn't, didn't function. So we ripped that out and made it function more. It had like a step, you know, like a shelf on the top where you had to, there's like a stair step. And so we got, we got rid of that and leveled it out. So it's just one big giant countertop. And then we put, uh, bar stools on the front of it. So boom, we got some more people that can sit and have a meal. And then of course, uh, I think Holly already hinted at putting a outdoor, uh, seating situation, which of course we did that as well. We've got a pretty big backyard on that one. So, you know, it can be done. Uh, and I never hear about it. I guess that was my point. A 20 minute speech. About nothing. <laughs> uh, that was my point is that I never hear about the lack of, uh, dining table area on that property. But again, I've, I've, uh, worked that into my management. Hey, you're probably not all going to be able to fit at the dining table. Take it or leave it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but Justin, and John are right. Yeah. I might've misspoke a little bit because I definitely include like any eat-in kitchen area into that. I guess the way I look at it is can everyone sit down and eat at the same time? That's same. Yeah. I was just yeah, going to yeah. say the same thing. We do oh, the same so John, thing. John, you think it's okay if they're separated? Yep. If they're set, as long as everyone can eat at the same time. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Here our patio doors usually open up to the outdoors also. So you're in right inside the dining area and people are eating outside. Like you're still visibly seeing each other. And so many people, I mean, if you came down from Minnesota today, you'd want to be sitting outside eating your dinner, not inside. Yeah. We well, got nice weather. Let me throw this one at you too. I don't know if you've ever been on vacation with multiple families, but at some point you're probably going to want to be able to move away from these people and have somewhere <laughs> else to eat your meal. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. What are we missing? Let's go back to those numbers. So, uh, John, what are you seeing on, uh, you know, not a size of property, square footage, number of bedrooms versus gross income. If you can just throw some, you know, some random stuff at us. Okay. Um, I think people should pay attention to the resorts and trying to understand what resort offer offers more than the other resort at a, at a cost basis. So, uh, I'm always trying to look for the most efficient thing with whatever market that I'm going to be going into. And I feel that you know, some resorts offer a ton, but the home values have jacked up in those in those locations, whereas another resort will still offer a lot, uh, but the home values haven't gone up nearly as much. And so you, and the revenue stays fairly similar in the compared to the two. And then the next thing I'd probably be looking for, uh, I don't have the answer to this. So I'm trying to say, you know, it gives some people some work to do here, but uh, trying to understand the difference between a property that's outside of a resort compared to a property that's inside a resort. Because I mean, you guys tell me, I'm assuming there's quite a bit of a difference between those two. Um, and I'm assuming that like a property that's in a resort that maybe it doesn't even have that great of a water park is still going to be significantly more expensive than the property that's outside of the resort. Right. Um, so those, that would be one thing. And then I would also like Wade, what you said with the home that you have, I've heard that from multiple people where they get the smaller uh, townhome that's close to Disney, like very close to Disney. And then that's uh, actually a really good cash flowing property for them. In comparison to going for these like massive eight bedroom that costs you a ton to get started, it's two different plays. Um, but I think that there's there's definitely room to play in both those. So just to kind of summarize some, some different things that I would recommend people to do is trying to understand the differences between the resorts and which ones are driving more revenue, the home prices outside of a resort compared to inside of a resort, and then the distance to the actual Disney and the different uh, bedroom sizes. So I guess everything, <laughs> but... Um, 
you kind of play around with those numbers and I think that you can find something that's fairly efficient. And again, seven bedrooms for whatever reason are just not doing nearly as well as six bedrooms and eight bedrooms are significantly outperforming and even nine bedrooms aren't that great. So like an eight bedroom would be uh, a better pull, a better property to get than a nine bedroom from what I'm seeing as well. So it blows my mind to even hear you guys talking about nine bedrooms. That's a massive house. Uh, We go up to 22 bedrooms. It's pretty common, right? Like there are some big houses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get the bed. You'll see, you'll see semi buses. I mean, buses drive right down the street and to pick people up. Yeah. Well, you got baseball players, um, cheerleading Mm. squads, you know, they want to stay in these places. Yep. And uh, uh, how how uh, how many square feet is it? Nine bedroom house. Four thousand to big ass house. It's a big ass house. Yeah, it's four thousand like two thousand square foot nine bedroom house. Yeah, our standard eight bed is around four thousand forty three hundred like square feet. Oh man, yeah. So it's yeah, not like but, a hostel where they're trying to shove a bunch of people in. <laughs> no, yeah, they're pretty spread out. Um, a lot of them have shared baths, but we have some properties that are i think our biggest home that we've ever sold here is sixteen thousand square feet for 17 and a half million um, but we have some homes in reunion that average north of six thousand square feet and they're in the eight bedroom range and they have like a movie theater arcade one of our highest performing homes actually in our market um, turned a arcade into a laser tag room and it's like a 30 by 30 it's this giant warehouse size of a space on property um and it's a laser tag room that home makes well into the six figures i think and it's, bowling a uh, couple bowling lanes yeah i i think it's a quarter of a million dollars on that or excuse me no a half of a million dollars on on revenue on that one i need to double check but they do I really say well. i hope it's more than a quarter <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i think it's closer to five or six hundred i need to double Man, check i, I want to do some bowl i want to bowl that sounds awesome so and we actually have, yeah. In some scenarios, we'll have flippers, actually. There's someone with a YouTube channel that has one, but they flip these homes. They'll come in, they'll buy a four-bedroom, add on a whole bunch of stuff to it, and flip it for another 80 to 100K. Um, they're, they're fun. There's some fun stuff people do here with some of the theme homes. So They add into, not necessarily on, because of our community. Yeah, but add, add into. Add, add into, yep, yeah. And and age of the homes too can determine a little bit more of a buying factor versus a if if you have an older home that hasn't been updated because like we were talking about the townhomes that are closer to the parks but that's a very uh, it's a much older community so you've got to give that put some love into that to get the numbers back that you want. Hmm. Uh, let me reiterate the enemy method just in case nobody uh, knows what if you don't know what that is if you're brand new. Uh, basically, what that is is just studying your competition. Uh, no different than uh, Walmart uh, putting toothbrushes on the shelf. They need to compare the toothbrushes to know how, where to price the toothbrush. Uh, I, I am, by the way, I am campaigning Walmart to start using the term enemy method. I do want to go global with that term. Uh, and we we called it enemy method because uh, to me, when I was early in my career, I was targeting these people as if they were my enemies. Okay, you're really freaking good at this. You are now my enemy. I'm going to take you down, right? And so um, check out enemymethod.com. Uh, it's Avery's uh, uh, an old school, old school YouTube video um, since before we even had a YouTube uh, that Avery did a long time ago. And it's, it's very simple, very easy to do, especially if you're familiar with long-term rental. You've probably done it a hundred times. Uh, maybe didn't even know that somebody coined the phrase. So... Um, again, you can do it on long-term. You just go on Zillow, find houses in your neighborhood, what they're renting for. And then I do the same thing, exact same with long-terms. The cool thing about short-term though, is you can find out way more stuff about your enemies, but on long-term, you know, okay, this house has granite. 
My house has Formica. This house has LVP. My house has a uh, has a sheet rolled vinyl. Uh, it's either I start doing some upgrades or I lower my price. And uh, this is my competition. Very similar on short terms, except for the fact that you can find out all kinds of other stuff like uh, their cleaning fee and uh, what kind of taxes or fees, additional fees they're charging, things like that. And of course, on short term, you've got 365 prices a year as, oppo- as opposed to long term where it's one price for one year. Uh, but uh, uh, And then there's all sorts of data websites, et cetera. You could always call John, uh, but uh, John, I want to have you give me a speech there. Let's say I'm brand new, don't know anything about anything. Uh, can you give me like a little rundown of the different uh, websites and softwares available for for numbers? Yeah, sure. So the the number one place that everyone goes when they're first getting started is AirDNA. Um, and AirDNA just opened up a new way of displaying their data. So you actually can see annual revenue numbers at a high level. Uh, for any market that you want to go into for free, which is which I think is like super cool because now you're able to uh, able to look into that market, get a general feel of what the revenue might be. You can start looking over at Zillow to see what the home prices are going to be. Um, it's a again, it's a very, very, very high level though. Um, and then once you get a little bit more feel for that, you can potentially purchase uh, AirDNA and be able to actually dive a little bit deeper into those numbers, go a little bit deeper into um specific areas and specific uh, uh bedroom sizes and bathroom sizes and all those different things to go a little bit deeper um and it's a it's a really useful tool the other useful tools out there is another one called bnb calc which is great for being able to underwrite a property to figure out exactly how much it's going to make um i'm coming up with a tool it's not available yet so is what it is but uh that one will help you do deep dive like crazy like i do and get all the way to the nittiest of grittiest of details but um, anyways, if you follow, if you start with AirDNA and then head over to like BNB Calc to really deep dive a property and underwrite it, you should be able to get a good answer to know if a property is worth moving forward with or not. Cool. Yeah, there's several of them out there. Don't waste your time with any of them until John's comes out is what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and of course, uh, the good old fashioned enemy method, if you want to do some just some, you know, yellow notepad back of the napkin style. Uh, anything else that we missed as far as uh, running your numbers? I guess my thing that we missed is uh, just to be brutally honest here, you got to run your numbers. You know, uh, Your goal is not the same as my goal, as the other people's goal, everybody else's goal. You got to decide what's right for your family and your future. And, um, and you uh, might be cool with breaking even, or you might be trying to replace a 50,000 day job in 10 days. And that is very stressful. Uh, but uh uh, any other thoughts on uh, on numbers before we say goodbye? Yeah, one thing I want to throw out there is, uh, you know, Carl, you and I have done these quite a few times. I feel like we're polar opposites when it comes to numbers. You'll, you'll grab up the yellow notepad and I'll create an entire software. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, I find that super interesting because it's... And, and anyone who would listen to anything on my YouTube channel and like learn everything that I'm doing, also listen to what Carl is doing because you are better at pulling the trigger than I am. So, you know, do your research, but pull the trigger, right? Like don't get stuck in that analysis paralysis um, and and studying both of us would probably help people be able to do that. Just throwing that yeah. out there. Oh, that's great, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I got no problem aiming, aiming after I shoot. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and, and I think what he's saying there just to reiterate is there's no wrong way to do it. You know, just do what's right for you and your family and, uh, and, and try and make uh, tomorrow a slightly better day than today. And that's the best we can do. Anything else? All right, cool. We'll, we'll drop that mic. Thank you for hanging with us. Short-term show from Orlando. And uh, the shorttermshop.com. Thank you. Bye. Bye.